Well, good morning to everybody. You guys doing all right this morning? Awesome. Hey, we're in a series called The Tension is Good. And uh, I really appreciate Rick Burdett from Gardenside preaching last week. We did a pulpit swap. It was great. Um, <clears throat> he did a great job. And, and, uh, and I'm, uh, I left him to deal with the mess that I created at his church. Uh, he's got to straighten them all out this morning. But uh, it was a great time. I really appreciate you all making Rick feel so welcome. He, he said he loved being here. And he said he wants to come back every Sunday if he can. So uh, you, guys are, you guys are great. I know exactly what he's talking about. Uh, today, guys, we're continuing our series, Attention is Good. And we are talking about the tension between maturity in Christ and dependence on Christ. Um, I, I, as a young man taking his first steps of faith, I, I, had, a, I had a struggle uh, with what I heard in the church sometimes. Um, I was on my own. I was wanting to take life by the horns and, and, and step into adulthood, meet the trial, overcome it. That was kind of my mindset. And, and, and I was always taught in athletics to, if you have a challenge or a struggle, to, to push harder, to train harder, to break through uh, fatigue and to train and train and train so that you can win. And there was, there was no time for pansies or sissies or quitting. Uh, my coach had a term for guys who waffled, who shrunk from the challenge. He said they were made of glass. And I can just, uh, I just hear, Kibler, you ain't made of glass, are you? Keep going. Um, I, can, I can still hear him say that. I didn't want to depend on anyone. I didn't want to be made of glass. I didn't want to be treated with kid gloves, and that was my entire orientation towards life. And all I wanted to be was an adult. So when I would go to church and I would hear about how helplessly dependent we are on God, needless to say, that was a difficult message for me to hear. Um, I, I, those who didn't hopelessly depend on him were arrogant and sinful and prideful, and that, that was part of uh, the, our humanity that we needed to get out of our lives. I, I, I heard that, and, and I, then I always thought there's something wrong with me, that, that this desire to be, uh, to, to be independent, the desire to take life on and challenges and, and overcome the challenge was sometime, some, somehow some kind of arrogance or pride within me that I had to get rid of. Wanting to take charge was sinful. Wanting to take challenges was sinful. Wanting to work hard and make things happen for the kingdom was sinful. Taking initiative, having goals, and being dedicated to them. I, that was kind of eschewed. That was kind of looked down on in the churches that I was going to at the time. And uh, so that's just kind of sinful pride because Christians just don't do that. And uh, Christians, on the other hand, are, are weak. They're hopelessly dependent on God for everything, kind of passive, uh, crying out to God every day like newborn babies. Uh, the, the image I had of a Christian man in my early, early steps in the church was that of a, maybe a, a baby bird in a nest with his mouth open waiting for mom to come feed you. That's kind of, that's kind of the, the, the image I had that, that the church that I had been uh, going to had kind of crafted for me as a young man. Needless to say, that wasn't very appealing. And I remember thinking, is this what Christianity is? Uh, it, it, well, some things in the Bible point to that, really. Um, but on the other hand, uh, if, if you look at the people in the Bible that did, uh, we, we look to, for examples, we don't see this helplessness at all. Um, we, we see rugged men who took every challenge, every, took life, uh, took life on the chin, and they kept going. The early Christians, you know, they, they, they faced down 
angry mobs and, 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 and they, they went to their death in the, uh, by the lions in the Roman Colosseum joyfully and gladly facing it down like, like, like these really, really brave people uh, boldly proclaiming Christ and, and living their faith at, the, at extreme cost. We see that in the Bible. And so it was a far cry from what I'd heard in church. So where was it? Well, we had the extreme over here being totally dependent on God and over here being totally independent, kind of like an adult, not needing mom and dad anymore. And these, the tension, but the truth, like as always, is somewhere in the middle. I ask my question, are we supposed to be totally dependent on God? Or are we supposed to leave the nest and strike out on our own and accomplish great things for God. What are we supposed to do? Well, we've seen in this series of truths and tension between the two. So I want to suggest that the tension, the truth between these two extremes is this, that dependence on God is the foundation and maturity in God is the proclamation. It, the foundation for our lives is our utter dependence on God, and the maturity that we have is our proclamation of that foundation. That's kind of strange. I'll explain that. Because the extreme over here, the dependence on God, there's a lot of biblical stuff for that. In Romans 5, 6, or 7, Paul writes this. This is Paul. Remember, okay, this is the guy that, uh, that, that had... Uh, had quite a rough life. If you don't believe it, read the book of Acts. It's, 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 it kind of reads like a country song. Every bad thing happens to him. It's awful. And, and he just keeps going. He keeps persevering. He is a tough, tough, tough guy. He writes this. You see, just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right? You have to understand this because this is very un-American. This is a very un-American concept to be dependent, to be powerless. Um, rugged individualism is built into our very fabric as Americans. This is a tough message to preach to Americans, especially Kentuckians. Um, now, the folks who first populated this state, I don't know if you know this or not, there's some rough people that first populated this state. Kentucky was a place where everybody who wanted to hide out from the law came. Seriously, that's, those, that's our ancestors, that's our history. Um, I, re I read this story, we, we, in fourth grade, we, we did a Kentucky history thing, and, um, and I remember this story. This, there was a Kentucky in the early 1800s that was fishing in a swamp, and an alligator came up and bit his leg, the bottom part of his leg off. Yeah, man, it was rough. He grabbed the, I get this, he grabbed the alligator and put the alligator in a chokehold, WWE style, okay? He took his fingers and gouged out the alligator's eyes and then laid back and choked the alligator to death, killing it in a headlock, okay? Then he used his belt as a tourniquet to stop his leg from bleeding. He paddled back to shore, put the alligator on his shoulders, hopped and crawled back to the house where, uh, while counting the alligator, had his wife sew his leg up and they cooked and ate the alligator. That's who we are descended from. Yeah. Okay. That's who we're descended from, people like that. Now try to tell a person like that or a community like that that they're powerless, it doesn't happen. It doesn't help, okay? When I was a sophomore in college, 
though this, this will give you some insight. When I was a sophomore in college, we had to take a water safety course. It was really interesting. It was one of the few courses that I actually liked in, in college. And it was, it was not only do we have to learn how to deal with alligator attacks, but we learned how to save someone from drowning. Get this. Someone who was drowning, I found out in this class, is extremely dangerous to approach. We look through the stages of drowning. And you see someone drowning, the first impulse is to jump in and save them. Wrong. Do not do that. This is why. We learned that a panicking person is extremely dangerous. Um, we learn signs of a person in panic. They are exhausted, and that when the reality that they're going to die begins to set in, adrenaline kicks in, and they begin flailing around. There's a very, there's a very marked thing right before the person passes out. Adrenaline kicks in, and they spend what little energy they have thrashing around, knowing that they're going to die. If you approach a person like that, they will grab onto you and drag you down, and you both will drown. We were told not to go in. Until, get this, until the thrashing stops and they are totally resigned to the fate that they are going to die and they stop fighting. Then and only then are you capable of going in and saving that person. Interesting. Interesting. While the person is still trying to save him or herself, they cannot be saved. They can only be saved when they resign to their faith that there is nothing they can do to save themselves and they surrender and they're ready to die. Then and only then can a rescuer go in and save that person. Amazing, isn't it? Some of us in here are still trying to save ourselves. We think that somehow through our efforts or through being good or being better than the person next to us or something, we can save ourselves and maybe we're still thrashing around in vain attempts to save ourselves. However, until we admit we are powerless over our sins, until we admit we are powerless to do what God wants us to do, to live a perfect life, until we admit that we cannot be saved, only when we resign ourselves to the fact that we are utterly and hopelessly lost and we quit quit fighting, quit trying to do things in our own power, can Jesus come in and save us? That's what it means that while we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, not when we were powerful, when we were powerless. We have to understand that. There's some of us in here who have not resigned themselves to that fate yet. Haven't. Until you surrender, Jesus cannot save you until you are powerless. That is this extreme over here, and we say, oh, that's amazing, that's great, that's wonderful. Well, the problem is, if I was to jump in and save someone who was drowning, put my arms around them, and just kind of hang out there in the water, is that really saving them? No, they're still in the same spot they are, still in the same spot. Uh, that is not saving someone. If I was to go in and dive someone who's, and, and, uh, to someone who's drowning and, and, and uh, give them a flotation device, just kind of leave them there, that's not rescuing. So we're not supposed to stay in this powerless state. We are to move. To, and the other extreme over here is what the Bible tells us after we are saved. But extreme number two is called maturity in God. Hebrews 6.1, the writer of Hebrews tells us this. Get this, people. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. In other words, let's get out of the water, people. Let's get out. 
Some of us are still in the water. Jesus saved us 40 years ago, and we're still where we were. We are not called to stay the victim, to stay powers. We are called to leave the elementary teachings of Christ and go on to maturity, to grow up. That's what we are called to do. God set people up that way. I don't know about you all, but if my children, who are now 20, 18, and 13, still needed me to spoon feed them food at the table, that would be a problem. It would be. That's not the way God set it up. God, and as, as the same way, we are called as people to grow into maturity, to adulthood. We leave mother and father, set out on our own. That's the way God set it up physically. It's also how he set, how he set up spiritually. God wants us to grow and mature in our faith as well. If you are where you were 5, 10, 15 years ago, there's a problem. It's a big problem. Maturing means you become less and less dependent on others. You know, it, I can always tell, I, I don't know, I've been around the church for a while, and you hear the whole criticism of the church. Well, it's full of hypocrites. You heard that? Yeah. You know, you know what that is? That there may be some truth to that. There, there are hypocrites everywhere. Everyone's a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. There's no one that consistently lives out their values all the time, every time. Everyone is. Okay? But get this. A person that always talks about the hypocrites in the church that's a sign of immaturity because they're dependent on others for their church experience. As you move and mature in Christ, you depend less and less on the great behavior of the people around you and you look more to God because you don't need the behavior of the people around you to, make you, uh, to, to, to give you a great worship experience. So here we have this tension between being utterly dependent on God and growing up in Christ. And I have to admit, you guys, that this, I'm probably not the right person to be preaching this message because I am unbalanced in this area. I am. I tend towards this extreme. Uh, I, I do. I may, I, and I don't know why. Maybe, maybe it's because, um, uh, I don't know, maybe because of my personality or the way I was brought up or or because, like I said before, I want to be independent. And, and, and I'm very concerned about the immaturization of American society. I think that we're becoming less mature as the years go on as a society. The church is no exception. You've heard the, church, the, the mile wide and inch deep. Uh, that, that's what a lot of churches are and a lot of Christians are, and that bothers me. So maybe by swinging the pendulum over here to the mature side, I can, I can bring people to the middle. I don't know. I don't know why, but I'm always... Tended to go too far to this side. That's a personal confession of mine. And Hebrews 5:12 it says this. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths about God's word over again. You need milk, not solid food. The, the, the Scripture tells us in the church, many of us in here. Yes, I'm talking to you. Many of us in here should already be teachers should already be preachers should already be in ministry should already be leading. Many of us should already be where we need to be as a, like a, a professor or a PhD. Many of us meet, need to be there. And the Bible is saying, listen, I mean, it's a problem 2,000 years ago. You're stuck. You're not growing. You're not maturing. All right? It bugs me. And uh, I see this immaturization within the church. I don't see the norm in our churches for people who want to go on to maturity. I just don't see that. Maybe you do. I don't. I don't see a huge hunger to know the scriptures. I, I don't. 
I don't see a huge desire to move forward and surrender more and more of our lives to Christ. Maybe, maybe you see that. I, I, I don't. Um, th- that may be true of several people in here, but as a whole, I don't see maturity as a huge goal for Christians. The Bible says by this time, many of us should be teachers, but we aren't. We're barely even students. So maybe as a reaction, desire to swing the pendulum over there, I, I go too far over there, but uh, it's a tension between these two extremes. So dependence on God is the foundation. Maturity in God is a proclamation. So here's, here's a couple statements about this that I want to make. Number one, dependence on God. The Bible says we are justified. It's a big theological term that means this, just as if I'd never sinned. If you are justified, that means just as if I'd never sinned. Okay, guys got that? If you are justified, it means just as if I'd never sinned. That's what God does for us. We are incapable of doing that. We are incapable of saving ourselves like the drowning person. So we have to be totally dependent on God for our salvation, for eternal life. There's nothing you can do, there's nothing I can do to earn our way into heaven. There's nothing we can do. And on the the other side, there's nothing we can do to make God love us any more or any less than he does right now. Nothing. Because God's love for you isn't based on you, it's based on him. He loves us because of who he is, not because of who you are. Got it? So that's the good part of being helpless. We are powerless to change God's opinion of us. If you think that by your actions you can change God's opinion of you, you are not that powerful. All right? You're not that powerful. His love for you is based on his uh, his character, not your character. Guys, so that's what it means to be justified. But the second is that God expects us to leave the baptistry, to leave the drowning situation and move on to maturity. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says this. We talk about this all the time, but I want to say it again. Jesus tells us to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Guys, we, I don't get scared very easily. I don't. Uh, someone said that courage is knowing something will hurt, but doing it anyway. Well, it's also the definition of stupidity, okay? So I don't know if it's courage or stupidity, but I'll tell you the one time I was truly scared as an adult, not as a kid, but as an adult. Um, I'd left for my very first mission trip to Asia. And I was meet, I'd met a bunch of church planters from Pakistan, Nepal, India, Bangladesh, on Facebook, <laughs> yeah, on Facebook. And we were gonna meet in Nepal to teach our very first church planning conference in Nepal. And I had, a, I had a, a connection flight going out of Delhi, India. And uh, I can tell you, I was scared. I, was, I, I, I stepped off the plane into the airport and walked down the concourse and I realized there was nobody in that airport expecting me. There was nobody in that country expecting me. My family was halfway across the world back in America. The people expecting me were in in Nepal. I was in India, and if I disappeared, if I got kidnapped, if something happened, no one would know where to find me. That was the first time probably in my life that I was scared. And as I walked down the concourse, a group of about 10 guys, a big group of, of guys, I was walking, they say I stuck out like a sore thumb. They looked at me, they did a double take and they looked at me, kind of like I look at a 10 point buck on opening day. Honey, honey, I mean, they, 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 
I, I read anger and hate in their eyes. I don't think they like me very much. And there were no cops there. They had full-blown military in airports like that. There were, there were no cops with just little sidearms. They had the full-blown, you know, AK-47s and M4s and everything, and they were dressed for business. And I can, for about 30 minutes, I was very, very scared. And I felt like, quite honestly, about 30 minutes, I kind of felt like Jason Bourne, like, is that guy after me? Is that guy after me? Kind of got paranoid a little bit, and I began praying and praying and praying. And God, what have you gotten me into? I was in so far over my head. I prayed and prayed and prayed. And God showed me something. He said, I didn't call your then six-year-old son to this. That's because God doesn't call children to the work of adults. He said, I called you to go over there. And I thought to myself, that must mean he thinks of me as an adult, capable of this kind of responsibility. It must mean he believes that I can handle this. And then this crazy thing happened, you guys. It was when he treated me like an adult that I reverted back to my utter dependence on him. You guys get that? It wasn't until he called me out of where I could handle things as an adult when I realized my total dependence on him. Okay? See, there are two types of people that acknowledge their utter dependence on God. One is spiritual infants. We have a lot of spiritual infants in here, and that's great because that's where you need to be. You've been saved. You've just recently become a Christian, and, and God, is, God is saving you from the water. That's, you recognize your, your uh, utter dependence on him. But there's a second type, the people who are fully mature in Christ, who have stepped out and taken the risk and gone on purpose for God, and they realize the kingdom can't be accomplished without God, so they revert back over here too as well. The people in the middle don't recognize their dependence on God. The Bible calls them lukewarm. People who pass off lukewarmness for maturity, people who have been baptized and they've grown a little bit and they just say, well, I'm where I need to be. I'm good. I just kind of hang out here till, I'm die, till I die. I'll go to church. I'll maybe do a Bible study or two. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, knocking those things because those are very, very important. But they don't really live like they depend on God. Okay, so guys, dependence on God is the foundation from which we live our lives of maturity, okay? Um, one of the things I found about being dependent on God and moving to maturity is that we are at odds with God less and less. As you mature, you are at odds with God less and less. We have fewer and fewer problems with God's commands, I can remember in my, when I was in seminary, they were, the professor said, just remember, when you preach on a tough topic, when you preach on a, a difficult topic, there will be people that will be upset with what you say. And I can remember asking, why? Why would someone be upset with what the Bible says? Why? The Bible says it, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Why would someone have a problem with what the Bible says? Well, People who are growing in Christ have problems with God's word less and less. Realize his ways are best, and life spent trying to fight against God is a fool's errand. It really is. 
you, um, you, you say, well, I got big trouble with God says here and here and here. Well, remember the definition of sin is believing that there's somehow, somewhere, there's something better than God. That's what the definition of sin is, that you, you see God's word, but no, you gotta go, gotta find something else. Well, as you mature in Christ, you begin to believe that God's ways are best. That's what it means to mature. You find a huge blessing in following what God says to do. And guys, in this day and age, I'm asking for this maturity to come out of this group here. I posted this on my Facebook page from August 20th. I called it one of God's greatest gifts to me. And I wrote this. One of the greatest gifts God's ever given me is the ability to stop worrying about things over which I have no control. You and I have limited energy, limited time, and limited resources. It's the wise person that spends those limited resources in areas where we can actually change or influence things. How many hours, days, weeks, months, or years have we wasted, people? Have we wasted allowing ourselves to be consumed with things we can't change? Anyone want to venture a guess? People's opinions of us, what people are saying behind our backs, things that are, are none of our business, extended family issues, Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Things that consume us? Most of the time, no amount of thought or worry or concern or discussion or sleepless nights will change a, sleep, uh, uh, change a single thing. Many of us are still trying to chase the will of the wisp of trying to change people against their will. It won't happen. God hasn't given you that ability. All right, so stop. Use your limited time, energy, resources where you can be effective. If you can't do anything about it, let it go. Claim Romans 8, 28, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and move on from it. We have such limited time to live, people. We really do. Many of us have already lived over half our lives. Some of us haven't. Some of us have. We don't have time to spend our limited resources in areas where we cannot affect change. Instead, use them where you can be effective, where you can change things, where you can influence the outcome. God's gift us ability to lay down the terrible burden of having to be involved in everything that comes along. His gift helps us realize that very few things require our attention. How many few things require our opinions or our comments. He gently whispers in our ear, let it go. Like I said, this is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given me and you. It's available to you as well, freeing ability to let things go to put the uncontrollable out of your mind and to send those limited resources of time and energy into things where you can be effective. This is, I hope you can do that today. It's an amazing gift. It's crazy to think about what some of us in here could have accomplished in this world if we spent half as much time engaging God's will instead of fighting it. As you mature, you have less and less problems with God's word and his ways. And you move on. Dependence on God doesn't lead to complacency, you guys. Dependence on God does not lead to complacency. Quite the contrary. It leads us to confidence that whatever God calls us to do, he's got our back and, he is, and he's, he's gonna make it happen. That's what dependence on God is. Maturity in the faith, being an adult in the faith, which we're called to be, 
is not learning more and more. We've gotten this wrong. I mean, learning is important, but study is not the end. Study is the reason that you, or the thing that enables you to go serve effectively. All right? No doubt, we need to learn more and more about God. But studying and learning is not the end. We think it is, but it's not. I want to invite the band to come on back up. Now remember, maturity in Christ is acting on what God has taught you. We remain utterly dependent on him because once we are dependent on him, we have the confidence and the foundation to proclaim our faith. The tension between the two. Dependence on God is the foundation and maturity in God is a proclamation that we are people that have been saved by God. Now I want to ask you, Where are you? Are you still in the water? The first type of person in here is still in the water and they're flailing around, not being, not, God is not able to save you because you have not resigned yourself to the fact that you are utterly and hopelessly lost. Still trying to figure out how you can save yourself, still trying to compare yourself to someone next to you, still trying to talk about how good you are maybe or the good things you've done, maybe, Well, that's someone flailing around the water. Have you resigned yourself to the fact that you are utterly lost without Jesus Christ? Do that. He saves you. So that's the first person that's still fighting. The second type of person in here is someone who has resigned themselves to the fact and Jesus has jumped in and saved you from drowning, but you prefer it there, just being saved. Looking for a get-out-of-hell-free card? Some people in here are like that today. The third type of person has gotten out of the water, realized that Jesus saved them, and spends the rest of their life, spends the rest of their life growing in Christ and doing what God wants us to do. Where are you today? Which which one of those three people are you? Well, do some business today with God. Do some business with him. Because if you're not the person number three, you're missing out. Missing out big time. If you are in the first category, you have never been saved, and you've realized today, this morning, that you are utterly and hopelessly lost, we want to pray with you. We want to, Jesus wants to jump in the water and save you, but he won't do it as long as you're flailing around. If there's anyone in here that needs to make their profession of faith today, do it. Do it today. We're going to have some worship time here. Find an elder, find a minister, find a person sitting next to you, and, and, and let us know. We will be happy to lead you to Christ. We'll be happy to baptize you. If you are the person that's been saved, you've been justified, but you really haven't changed all that much in five, 10 years, I want to invite you to get out of the water and begin walking in maturity. Some of you guys need to be teachers. Some of you need to be leaders. And, and the Bible says you're supposed to be there and you're not. I want to invite you to step up to the challenge and embrace the maturity in Christ that God calls us all to. What are you going to do? Do some business with God right now. We're going to have some quiet time. Spend this time in prayer reflecting on where you are and what Jesus needs to do.